Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Can you just give Jesus a big shout? A victorious shout! Hallelujah! Are you excited already? Praise the name of the Lord. We have prayed and we will still be praying because I don't know if you've noticed or if you saw um, what we're going to be doing for this month. We're going to be praying. I mean, it's a, it's a prayer culture that we want to develop in the lives of everyone here. It's a culture that we want you to imbibe. And it's something we're going to, you know, fuel every part of our lives in prayer. We're going to set the course of our lives in the place of prayer. We're going to, we're going to ascertain and assert those victories you already have in the place of prayer. We're going to exercise, exercise the, the, the Spirit's ability in us through the, the, the place and, and practice of prayer. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. I see that many of us are already tuned in and I say big hi and a big I love you. And I want to say you have to get ready for tonight. In fact, I hope you're already ready for tonight's teaching. All right. So very quickly, you're going to grab your books. You're going to grab your pens. And we're going to go into the word. The things that I'm going to be teaching you we're starting foundationally and some of the things these things you've heard before you've heard countless times and it's great it's good to have reminders it's good to to remind yourself of the things that are true and from there we're going to pick it up a bit go to more complex things get some questions that you may have about prayer answered and by the grace of god have an eruption an eruption an activation in your prayer life that will never quench. Praise the name of Jesus. And I pray to God that he's going to do that in your life. It's going, he's going to start a good work in you today and continue it for the rest of your life. That if fire was ignited here when you joined in for Bible study. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So quickly, let's start off and um, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. The book of Matthew, chapter 6, we're going to read from verse 5 to 8. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. You know this scripture, it's where we have one of the most famous templates for prayer, right? And Hopefully we get to talk about that um, in the course of this teaching series, C.A., this teaching series will bless you. If you know someone that is struggling in their prayer life somewhere, a friend, a family member, a colleague, or maybe it's even you, drag them. If it's you, drag yourself for every Bible study we're going to be having this month. We're also going to have a period of, of fasting by the grace of God towards the end of the month. And I want you to join in on that. I want you to just seal the deal the right way. All right. So. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6 from verse 5. I hope you're there. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. So this is what it says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues. I'm reading from the NIV. They love to pray standing in the synagogues, in the open and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward. But when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, 
For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And just looking at this this scripture, and when you read the, the subsequent verses that, that tells, you know, Jesus starts to teach them how to pray, you know, and says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This tells us something, amongst many other things. It tells us that there is a right way to pray and there is a wrong way to pray. It tells us that there are people who are missing it big time in different ways, but there is a right way to pray. There is a better way to pray. There is an effective way to pray. There is a way that God expects us to pray to him. And as much as a lot of churches and denominations and religions would say, pray to God, pray to God, pray to God, I find that one thing that helps people get the best results is not telling them what to do, but telling them how to do it. That's what distinguishes an effective teaching ministry, to explain how something is done. Not just to say what should be done, but to explain how that thing should be done. Praise the name of Jesus. Are you with me so far? Great. Fantastic. So, I mean, we're going to go to some of those excesses, the, the kinds of prayers that are not effective. But I just want you to have this at the back of your mind that there are certain ways that we pray that are just not what God expects. And it's at this point that you need to learn to be teachable. You need to be teachable. When we are before God's word, we ought to be teachable. We ought to be willing to be corrected. So in case you find out there's a way you have been praying and you've been getting this thing wrong all along, your response to that is to change, is to change. It's a metanoia, it's a repentance, it's a change of mind. You change, you take a 180 degree turn and say, I was wrong, this is a better way to pray and adopt it. Praise the name of Jesus. But you see, um, starting off this, this teaching series, there, there's one vital element, one vital thing that when you talk about prayer, if this thing is missing, if it's not present, if it's forgotten, if it's not emphasized, then the whole point of prayer is defeated. If this thing is out of the picture, ha have you ever played this game called Jenga or see so, seen someone play it, you know, you stack all these blocks and bricks upon each other. You know, the next player puts one, all that, it doesn't fall. Have you ever seen someone take out a piece and all of it, everything just crumbles? That's, that's the thing I'm talking about. That miss, missing piece in the, in the puzzle. That, that thing that, that holds everything together, that without it, the whole structure crumbles. The whole structure of prayer crumbles. That's what I want to address this evening. And what am I talking about? The title of today's teaching is Faith Link. Faith Link. And I'm going to explain what this is all about. But Faith Link. Faith Link. You see, faith is a concept that I find a lot of people do not understand or misinterpret. I find that faith is something that a lot of people haven't really come to terms with to understand how it works. And because of how vital faith is to the, to, to the discipline of prayer, I cannot allow us have the wrong understanding of what faith is and its part that it, and the part that it plays in, in, in prayer. All right. So this this is why faith is important, right? First of all, faith is what links the prayers made to the answers received. Prayer is what links the prayers made to the answers received. 
that's the idea of that title, Faith Link. It is that thing that that takes you from where you are to where God wants you to be. It's a bridge. It's a bridge. You're seeing what God wants for you ahead, but you're looking at where you are. Faith is that vehicle, is that transportation that takes you from where you are to where God wants you to be. Right? Praise the name of Jesus. But but the reason why we need to understand faith is because there are a lot of things that believers are struggling for, struggling a lot to get. Meanwhile, all that is needed is the right perspective, the right understanding of what faith is, especially as it relates to prayer. All right? So faith is very vital. This is why when it comes to God and his interactions with human beings, and I need to pay attention, this is all fundamental. When it comes to God and the way he interacts with individuals and humans, you need to realize that God will never, it's not in his nature to do so. He will never impose anything on people against their will even if those things are good things. Did you hear what I said? God will never impose anything on anybody against their will, even if the thing he wants to impose is a good thing. He won't. It's not in his nature. It's not. When you think about it, like I'll use this story again and again. If I were Jesus and I thank God that I am not, although by the grace of God, I am like him and I will be more like him by the day. But I'm talking about at the point of his resurrection. These were people that had seen him, beaten him, scorched him, punished him, slapped him. Some of the people that were saying Hosanna in the highest as he, he made a triumphal entry in Jerusalem. They said Hosanna in the highest. Some of them were the same people that said crucify him. Kill him. We don't want him again. He's a false guy. Blasphemy, blasphemous individual. These were the same people. Now, he had told them that if you destroy this temple in three days, I will build it back up. Ah, what nonsense. You know, and he was talking about his resurrection. Now, these people had put him on the cross, killed him. Thank God for Jesus. If I were Jesus, and thank God again that I am not Jesus. But if I were him, ah, those nails will not stay there. They will, they will remove. I will float in the air and send lightning and thunder to all of them one by one. Oh, yeah. You know, oh yeah, fire. That's how I will do one by one, everybody. And and to be according to how bad you were to me. If you if you're the one that spat on me, anyways, let me not say, let me not say my mind can be very, very creative. Um there'll be a lot of creative miracles that day. That's all you need to know. But what I'm trying to say is that at the point of his resurrection, who were the people? That our Lord Jesus Christ visited. Guess what? It, it was the people that believed in him. When he appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, guess what? They were disciples. Sadly, they did not recognize him because of unbelief, primarily. They couldn't, they, they didn't anticipate he really would come back to life. He was grieved. That's why he told them, Oh fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken about. Their unbelief made Jesus unrecognizable. But he appeared to them to help their faith. He appeared to the disciples who fled the scene. All of them ran away. All of them. And he appeared to them, even to the one who, having seen him, Still doubted. He said, no, no, no. Let me touch the hole in your hands and your feet. And Jesus helped his own belief. He appeared to 500 at a time. Appeared to Peter. Appeared to all those that actually believed in him. If I were Jesus again, thank God I am not. I will appear to, to, 
Pilate, I will go to his house. Hello, hello, yes, hello, sir. Come here. You are the one that went to wash your hand. I beg. What rubbish? You are the one that caused this. You caused it. You don't know you have the power to, to save or, or to kill. It's you. I will give him one big slap. I will go to Caiaphas, the high priest. Give him one slap. Go to, do you understand? I will appear to those who are against me. Those people that flogged my back. Those people that put me on the cross. I will go after them. If not to revenge, at least to announce to them that you guys were wrong all along. I was the Christ. But he didn't do that because doing so, at least from my perspective, that would be imposing even the good thing, the, the, the reality that he is the Messiah on them. God's method has always been for people out of their free will to put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you following what I'm saying? He could have appeared to the entire world after his resurrection and say, I am the Christ. I am the one who the prophet had spoken about. See me. And he'd be floating in the end to be magnificent and marvelous. By the way, a day is coming like that. Hallelujah. There's a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at his appearing. Hallelujah. But I mean, at the point of his resurrection, he could have done that. And everyone will have no choice but to say, ah, this has to be real. But I, I tell you, even then, possibly some people might not believe. But at the end of the day, he said, you know what? The method that I choose is that, no, the people who have believed in me, who have been witnesses of me, they will be the ones to tell this story to as many people as possible. And as many as believe in this, they will be saved as well. That was God's method. It's always been faith. It's always been faith. And some people will say, what about Paul the Apostle? Jesus appeared to him, didn't he? Wasn't that imposing himself upon him? But guess what, guys? Guess what? Jesus did appear to Paul. But the, 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 his appearance was not one where he was presenting the gospel to him. It was a question. Why are you persecuting me? I'm the one you've been persecuting. Why are you persecuting me? And guess what? Paul had a choice to make. He could have responded and said, mm -mm, whatever you are, you foul spirit appearing and, and shining light in my eyes, telling me these things. I will, not, I will not stop till my last breath, till you and your followers are gone out of the surface of the earth. He could have responded that way. There were many people who saw, I think about it, the Pharisees. They saw the signs, they saw the miracles, but they still wanted Jesus arrested and killed. So Paul had a choice, but he, he decided to repent. He chose to, to listen to the words of Ananias that, that Jesus sent to him and believed in the gospel. His life changed. So he wasn't even imposed upon with the gospel. When, at that appearance, do you understand what I'm saying? At the end of the day, God wants you to put faith in him, to trust in him. He will never impose anything on you. Do you understand? Except you believe in him to give you that which you've, you desire. Praise the name of Jesus. So at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is that, see, if you're going to see answers to your prayers, it's through this concept called faith. It will be because you believed God and he came through for you. Praise the name of Jesus. Faith is, is very, very powerful. Faith is a very powerful concept. Still talking about God not imposing even the good things on people. Have you noticed that whenever the Lord Jesus was going to perform a miracle or heal a sick person, he would say some statements. Let's check a few of them very quickly. We're still going to get to how this relates to you and your prayers, right? We're getting there. But I want you to just see this holistic picture. So the first kind of statements you see in Matthew chapter 5 from verse 34. Matthew chapter 5 from verse 34. We're going to read another scripture where you see something similar. I hope you're there with me. If you're there, shout Shambhala. Matthew 5, 34. Oh, hallelujah. This is good. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Jesus said to her, Daughter, 
Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. You know the story. It's about the woman with the issue of blood. She had touched him. She received her healing. And he looked at her. He said, daughter, your faith. What did he say made her well? Of course, we know it's the power of Jesus to heal that makes a person whole. But he, he was careful to indicate the real thing. He had the power. She had the faith. It was the faith that commanded the power. Glory to Jesus. Faith attracts the power of God. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Your faith made you well. Matthew chapter 10 from verse 51 to 52. Let's look, quickly look at it. Matthew chapter 10 from verse 51 to 52. Oh, this is so good. Verse 51. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto you? Like, what do you want me to do? He was talking to this blind man. And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that... I might receive my sight. Like, that's what I want you to do. I want to have my sight restored. In verse 52, Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Go thy way. Your faith, your faith has made you whole. And the Bible says, And immediately, not a second to waste, and immediately he received his sight. And follow Jesus in the way. Hallelujah. Such a precious thing it is to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Such a precious thing it is. He said, what would you have me do? He said, I want my sight received and you are the one that will do it. And Jesus looked at him and said, see, go your way. It's fine. Your faith has made you whole. And by the time he received his sight, he said, I'm not going my way. <laughs> I'm going your way. You've healed me. I am following you. Praise the name of Jesus. But he says, your faith made you whole. Look at another scripture that, that, that talks about faith, but in a, in a slightly different way. Matthew chapter 9 from verse 29. Matthew chapter 9 from verse 29. We're going to, talk, we're going to start from verse 27 till verse 29. Matthew 9, 27 to 29. This is good. This is so good. Verse 27, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. There's a place you get to in your life where you are like, the only hope I have now is this man there, this Jesus. He's the only hope I have right now. I, and that's what you call poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit, where you, you, you realize your deficiency and realize the wealth, the wealth that is in Jesus, the wealth that is in the glory of God. Hallelujah. Son of David, have mercy on us. Verse 28, and when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. So Jesus approached them. The blind man came to him and Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Look at that question. And, and I think if we just take a moment about, you know, and think about this, this is the same question that Jesus asks us every time. Every time we are backed up against the wall, every time we are at our lowest, at the point of breaking. At the point where we say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I am at my, I'm backed up against the wall right now. There is no glimmer of hope anywhere in sight. I'm at my lowest point right now. I need your help. I need you. And obviously, Jesus sees these people in dire need of him. But he asks them that question. And he's asking you the same question too. He knows you need him. He knows that you need. He knows the Bible says he knows what things you need of before you even ask. He knows them already. He knew what they needed. Obviously, they were blind. And he asked them, 
He's asking you, do you believe that I am able to do this? That's the question for you this evening. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I am able to do this? The Lord Jesus is asking, do you believe that I am able to do this? And this guy said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We believe. In verse 29, he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith. It's almost as if everything that borders around the miraculous happening or getting an answer to a prayer is all about your faith. That's almost what it seems like. According to your faith, let it be to you. And what happened? Their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. The power was available The question was, was the faith available? Do you have faith? Then be it unto you according to your faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the reverse was the case. When when our Lord Jesus visited his his hometown in in Matthew chapter 13, in, in verse 54, he went to his hometown, Nazareth, you know, and he taught the people in the synagogues and they were astonished. They were asking, where did this man get such wisdom and miraculous powers? You know, and then some others in verse 55 started to ask, isn't this the capital son? Uh-uh, I know him. I'm Joseph. I'm Mary. Uh-uh. He's the one that did my chair in this house. I know him. He's not the one that I used to, you know, when he used to play football, I would go and bring the tall and clean his leg when he injures an iodine. Uh-uh, it's him. This is Omo Joseph. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon? (laughs) This one, they knew him. They knew knew him. Aren't all his sisters with us as well? Where then did did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Have you ever been in a situation where people had once known you as ordinary or in fact, they've known you as less than ordinary. Maybe you were a stubborn child when you were younger. Maybe you were just the one that wasn't so brilliant in class. Maybe you're the one who was just so promiscuous. You were the one who people thought the worst about you. And now they start to see you doing good things. They start to see you being successful. They start to see you being on fire for the Lord. And like, I begged. This one is just pretending. What's all this? Who do you think you are? That's what was happening with these people. They started to lose honor for Jesus. And look at what happened. And Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his household is a prophet without honor. He said it. He knew what was going on. And the Bible records, verse 58, and he did not do not many miracles there because of what? Because he didn't feel like, because he was tired. Because the power no day. No, because of their own belief. Because of their own belief. He could do, not that he will not do mighty works. He could not. He could not. He could not because there was unbelief. Unbelief will always be a barrier between you and what God has said about you. Unbelief will always stand in the way of the miracles that Jesus plans to, 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 to work in your life. They will unbelief will stand as an obstruction every time. But the question still remains, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Guys, look, I know that there are so many situations. There are things that you've been in that no one can even imagine. You're facing current things, current situations that you're like, see, no one understands because they're not in my shoes. You you don't know. I've prayed about this thing before. I've waited on the Lord before. I have tried and tried. Is it not this faith that I've believed? Uh Uh-uh. Pastor Ken, I've prayed. 
I've said these things. I've prayed. I've, I've, I've asked for someone else to pray for me. I have trusted God. Look at where I am now. See where I am. This thing, nothing. No show. You see, because it still borders around your understanding of faith. I know when we see the stories and with the miracles and the healings of Jesus, many a times these things are instant. They're almost immediate. But I want to, I want to submit this to you. That when it comes to faith, there are certain things you need to realize about it. There are characteristics of true biblical faith that you need to remember. And the first one I'm going to tell you is this. Faith, true biblical faith, is enduring. True biblical faith is enduring. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about these things in detail. It is enduring. What I mean by that, it, it's not just a one-off thing. It's not just a one-off payment. It's a daily subscription. It's a daily subscription. It's that thing that must be consistent if you're going to see results. Faith in God has no expiry date. In fact, do you know that your faith in God transcends your earthly life? <laughs> do you know that your faith in God ought to transcend your earthly life. It ought to be till eternity. There's no expiry date. Even if the thing you're believing God for has a deadline, your faith in God has no expiry date. Because when, when God does his thing, sometimes you might not see the whole picture. You might not see why those delays here and there you might not see why those failures here and there were leading up to something bigger. The right thing that you actually were meant to, to get or were meant to be in. So don't ever lose sight of, of a bigger picture because of present delays. But let your faith be enduring. If you're going to live out true biblical faith, it must endure. It must persevere. It must stand the test of time and pressure. Hallelujah. That's true biblical faith. Number two, true biblical faith is not circumstantial. And, and this is similar to the first one. But it's not circumstantial. The blind men who asked Jesus to heal them. What was their current circumstance? They had gone to physicians. They had gone to doctors. They had gone to professionals. Nothing had happened. These guys have been blind. They can't remember the last time they saw colors or light. And they're asking a man that they haven't even seen. They don't know what he looks like. Think about it. That was their current circumstance. They probably had kids. It's possible. And they've never seen their kids or their wives. If they did. That was their circumstance. But faith went beyond circumstance. Faith put them in the place where they were seeing their children, seeing the light, seeing the sky, seeing the colors, seeing the birds. Faith had put them out of that circumstance. And that's what it should do for you too. Faith is not circumstantial. It's a regardless thing. It's regardless of my situation, regardless of my background, regardless of my past experiences, regardless of the current circumstances of my life. I choose to see what God is seeing. I choose to be where God wants me to be. That's what faith looks like. Are you getting what I'm saying? I need you to internalize these things because this is what true biblical faith looks like. And I'll give you examples as we go on. Number three, it is almost irrational. <laughs> it is almost irrational. It is almost irrational. You know, when the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 20, it says, you know, unto, now unto him who is able to, uh, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. I, I'm mixing this up, pardon me. Ephesians 3.20, right? It says, um, now unto him who is able to do abundantly, right? Exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to his power that works in us, right? It's, it says, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly. 
above. If you can think certain things and ask certain things, the God who can do exceedingly above and abundantly above those things that you've asked for, guess what? Some of the things that God can do beyond what your mind is thinking will seem irrational. They will seem ir- irrational. You will try to think from a logical standpoint. Okay, uh, uh, X and Y. X plus Y is equal to Z. But the X coordinate is not reaching the Y. Uh, how? What is God? You see, the, the things that God does, they're always in abundance. And sometimes it's hard for you to believe what God is saying about you. Because sometimes your mind is not thinking on the same frequency that God is thinking. Look at the man Abraham. Who had never you know, even had the slightest inkling of having a child. He could not get his wife pregnant. He couldn't. And God tells him, you'll be a father of many nations, that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. How, 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 that will blow your mind. It's irrational. I don't even have one. I don't have one child, yet you're saying I'll be a father of many nations. Ha. No, now it will seem irrational. People will call you crazy. People will call you foolish. But if you're going to have true biblical faith, you better think that way. You better think the irrational way. You better think the foolish way. You better think the crazy way. Because the Bible even says about the gospel that it's foolishness. It's foolishness to them who, who don't believe. It is. It sounds irrational. Praise the name of Jesus. Number four, true biblical faith is Christ-like. And I want to dwell on this a bit more. It is childlike. In Matthew 18 from verse 2 to 4, you know, Jesus calls a little child to him, you know, and put the child in the, in the center of them. It says, truly I tell you, unless you change, this is the NIV, by the way, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. Look, the reason why Jesus uses the example of a child as it relates to faith, I believe this is the reason, because Things are less complicated. Things are less complicated. It's adults who like to complicate things that are really so easy and simple. We try to bring in complications, but but what if this doesn't, what about this one? But what about that one? What about this one? And all Jesus is saying, just trust. Just trust. If you're going to jump out of a plane, all you need is to pull the the. I forgot what, it, what they're called. You, you pull um, the, the strings on the, on the parachute and it will deploy. Don't be asking, you know, what this, what that. Just trust that, you know, you don't have to calculate. What about the air resistance? What about the, the, the acceleration due to gravity? Is it, he says, jump and pull this and you'll be fine. But what adults do, what we try to do is we try to complicate things. That are simple. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't have to. Look at this child. Has no care in the world. If you tell a child what to do, he'll do it. See, they are not too concerned with the how. Just tell them what to do. They'll go about it. If you tell them, I mean, growing up, <laughs> I had a brother who was very deceptive. Not to harm me, but just for fun, right? He was extremely, extremely deceptive. <laughs> he would tell me. Now, those red rubber bands, you know, um, the reason why they are red is because rubber bands suck your blood. I don't know if you were told that joke because when you rub a rubber band across your skin, sometimes it, it touches the hair and kind of hurts. So it's, it feels like it's sucking your blood. So he would tell me that he played all sorts of tricks on me. And I believed everyone. I'm not joking. I was so gullible because you can tell a child anything. You can tell a child, you know, if a child asks you, where do babies come from? And you tell a child that there are these birds that fly from heaven, they, you know, they carry this cloth and you're inside the cloth and they will drop you at the doorstep of a family that prays very well 
that, that that's how God blessed that children are a blessing from heaven literally they will believe it they will believe it there are so many things that you you, you probably had believed that you, you only recently you just realized I oh, know this cannot have been true right because you can believe the impossible you can believe the impossible and that's why Jesus wants us to have that childlike approach when it comes to him. Don't think about complexities. We have a problem of overthinking things, overanalyzing things. And it happens a lot with us. I know people would like to say it happens with girls. I might believe them. But I, I like that girls and ladies are technical. They like to think through things. It's great. It's good to analyze things. But don't be overanalytical that you downplay the ability of God. Don't ever get to a point where you overanalyze. You want to figure out every single detail before you can take that step of faith. God is saying, no, remove the complexities. Stop thinking too much. Throw away the anxiety. Look at what I'm saying about you. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? If your answer is like those blind men, yes, Lord, then be it unto you according to your faith. Do you see what I'm saying? Praise the name of Jesus. That's what God expects of us. So this is what true biblical faith looks like. It endures. It perseveres. True biblical faith is not circumstantial. And it's almost irrational. It, it believes the impossible. But it's also childlike. It, it, it removes the complexities. Guys, as I round off, I, I want you to just remember these things. When, when you look at the story of, of David, and you look at the story of Joseph, these are people that we, we look to, we hear, we, we say, ah, these are great men you know, that God used and all of that. But when you realize that, when it comes to faith, faith is not just that immediate thing. Some people wrongly say, you know, quoting Hebrews chapter chapter 11, saying, you know, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, they say, now faith is. So faith is now. <laughs> I've heard, I promise you, I've heard that, you know, said many times. But as you read further, you start to see some of the things these heroes of faith, as I'll call them, did. And you realize that it wasn't an immediate thing. Even the previous chapter talked about enduring long, persevering till the end, you know, holding on to the profession of your faith. So faith is not always that immediate thing. Can things happen immediately because you believed? Yes, absolutely. But if you believe that that's what that's what's characterizes faith then you're wrong when you look at the story of david david was anointed as king around the age of 15 to, to 19 scholars say it was between that age range 15 and 19 he was anointed to be king do you know when he eventually became king at the age of 30 he ascended the throne what do you think would have gone through his mind he was told by the prophet that was known that see, and this is your throne, you will be king. And just like Simba <laughs> right, from Lion King, you, you wander through a dark wilderness, not knowing what's next, what's, what's going to happen. There's someone else sitting on your throne back at Pride Rock. And, and you're trying to just figure out what's going on. I, you meet some people along the way. Your team won't. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm getting somewhere else. <laughs> Pardon me. But then you're just on this journey of uncertainty. I thought I was going to be king. You know, you sang the song, Oh, I just can't wait to be king. But nothing. But at the age of 30, about 13 to 15 years after, finally, you ascend the throne. Mind you, before then, he was almost killed severally by the hands of the person of Uncle Scar. Sorry, I'm, I'm saying the wrong story. By the hands of King Saul. He was almost killed. But he ascended the throne nonetheless. The same thing with Joseph. At the age of 17 years. At the age of 17 years, this guy had a dream. That he would, he would be the ruler and his whole family will bow down to him. 
This guy's story was even so much dramatic. He was sold into slavery. First, he was thrown into a pit, almost died, was sold into slavery. When he got into the place, he, he was put into prison. He was there longer than he should have been. And, and, and when you look at that kind of journey, it tells you that faith is not, it's a link, all, the, all right. It's a bridge to where God wants you to be. But that bridge is not always immediate. It's not always the best of bridges, the finest ones. It can be rigorous. It can be tiring. Maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe that's your, where you are. You're in, the, you're in the process. You're walking on that bridge. You're, 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 you're walking on the, along that link. You're trying to get to where God is. And all God is saying is, you know what? Trust me. Every step of the way. Trust me. I know your needs before you even ask for them. So trust me, I'm in control. That's what the Lord is saying to someone listening right now. He is in control. He is in control. Sometimes it feels like your life is is experiencing a delay. And others are just moving, rising, moving, rising. Think about it. God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. I mean, time will not even permit me to talk about Abraham. Come on. A man that at the age of 75 years, that's when he got the first call. Only for him to receive it 25 years after at the age of 100. Come on. There is a, and he was called the father of faith. There is something about faith that a lot of us are not getting right. And that's why our prayers are not effective. We give up too easily. We, 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 we get so disappointed so easily. We, we, we go to a place where we're like, ah, but I've, I've put my hopes up so much. Ah, God, you know what? Don't, don't worry. I'm fine. I don't want to get disappointed again. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this phase of my life. Let me just handle it. Let me just know that everything is in my hands now, 100%. Is that your life? Do you think that what, that's what God wants? He wants you to trust him all through the process. He wants you to be poor in spirit. See his wealth. See your deficiency. And realize the only way you're going to be where he wants you to be is through your trust in him. Guys, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, God wants you to have a confidence when it comes to him. He wants you to have a confidence. He wants you to know that before you even ask, he's aware of your needs. Then he also wants you to know this. You know, like 1 John 5, 14 to 15 echoes. And, and this is the confidence that we have in him. There is a confidence that you must have. As a believer, it doesn't matter how many times you might have asked for this thing or waited for God for this thing. Oh, he says, there is a confidence. This is the confidence that we have. That whatever we ask, you know, if, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have. Say, I have. I have the petitions that I desire of him. Praise the name of Jesus. You have it. You have it. God wants you to carry this confidence. And that's why when Jesus, in the first scripture we read in Matthew 6, when it says, don't be like this hypocrites that, that just pray openly in the synagogues, but go into your room. He's saying these guys make repeated babblings. Like because of those babblings, they'll be heard. And that's what a lot of people do in prayer. You're just repeating the same things. You're babbling, you're babbling. But you don't realize that it, your prayers are already deficient of faith. They lack faith. Are you praying because you really trust God till the very end? Or are you praying to fulfill all righteousness? Are you praying just so that it might seem like you're making some effort? Guys, God wants you to have a confidence. Every time you close your eyes and open your mouth and step in a place of prayer, he wants you to have a confidence that God hears me. He hears me. And not only does he hear me, it's one thing for him to hear you. He might hear you and decline. He might hear you and not be bothered. But the Bible says he hears us. 
and he will give us all the petitions that we ask. We have the petitions that we desire of him. Praise the name of Jesus. There is a confidence to have. On the flip side, you know, when you read a scripture like James chapter 1 verse 5, in fact, when I read the scripture, it, it does something to me every time. James chapter 1 from verse 5 till verse 8. I want you to open and see this with me. James chapter 1 from verse 5 to 8. Very common scripture. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. I love the confidence that this speaks. It says, if there's ever a time you lack wisdom, do what? Ask God. The Bible says God gives it liberally. And he doesn't keep it. He doesn't withhold it. It will be given to you if you ask for wisdom. It almost sounds like the, one of the easiest things to receive from the Lord. Wisdom. Wisdom. It's like walking into a chocolate factory and saying, do you, do you have chocolate? Can I have chocolate? They will, I mean, that's the, that's the hub for chocolate. You will get it. So, God gives wisdom liberally. But then he puts a clause to it. There's a caveat here, verse 6. But let him ask in faith. There's a way to ask. Let it be done in faith. Nothing wavering. Are you reading this with me? Let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea have you ever been to a beach before you see how the, the the waves are moving to and fro it's tossed let you know back and forth it's just the man that that wavers that means when your faith is not stable and it's shaky that's how you look it says verse 7 for let not wow this is the one that hits me for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the lord a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So there is a training that you will need to have where you stable, if I use that word, where you stabilize your mind. Where you make up your mind and say, I am going to believe God on this matter and nothing will change. I am not going to give room for doubt. It's, it's a decision. Do you realize it's a decision to look beyond circumstance and to look beyond experience and to look beyond the opinions of the people in your life. To look beyond other people's experiences and look at what you desire of the Lord and say, on this matter, my faith will not shake. On this matter, my faith stays. It remains. And my faith is stable. My faith does not shake. My faith does not waver. It stays. It's a decision. You can choose not to doubt. You can choose not to doubt. Yes, hear me. You can choose not to harbor unbelief in your life. It's a training. It's a training. It's you taking ownership of your mind and saying, I give no room to the wrong ideas. That's why in, in Philippians 4, verse 8, we're going to go back to verse 6, but in verse 8 it says, Brethren, think on these things. It, it tells you what to think about. Paul is talking to them because he knows that you can have, you can actually choose to think on these things and, and let them occupy your mind. It's whatever things that are true, that are pure, that are just, that are of good report. Think on these things. If they have any praise, think on them. Because you can choose what preoccupies your mind. But when it comes to the place of prayer, if you will utter any words, let them be words inspired by faith. Let them not be words born out of doubt or uncertainty or unbelief. Is there uncertainty about your future? Yes. Are there things you're not sure of right now on how they will happen? Absolutely. But are you uncertain of God's plan in your life? You shouldn't. Are you uncertain of God's intentionality to bring you to the place he wants you to be and to give you the things that you desire of him? There should be no uncertainty. And that's what the admonishment here is. Don't doubt. Don't doubt. 
Convince your mind to have only faith towards God. Convince your heart to have only faith towards God. Intentionally preoccupy your mind with the promises of God, with the goodness of God, of the faithfulness of God. Recount his faithfulness in your life. Recount his goodness in your life. And remember that, see, the God who did these things is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask, think, or imagine. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And I'll end with this scripture, Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7 says, Be careful for nothing. Do not be anxious. I like that this starts as an instruction. It's telling you, dear believer, don't be anxious for anything because anxiety breeds unbelief. Anxiety breeds unbelief. It's a breeding ground for unbelief, for doubt. When there's so much you're thinking about, how would I start this business? I don't even have enough capital. I haven't even paid off my student loans. I haven't even settled this. I haven't done that. I haven't done this. How shall these things be? Now, it's, you might ask that question. Like Mary asked, how shall these things be? How will a virgin give birth to a son? But eh, at the end of the day, you would choose to put aside those anxieties. You will choose to put them aside and say, you know what, there's so many unanswered questions, but there's one thing that is important, and this is what Paul admonishes. He says, but in everything, say everything, in everything, no matter how small or big, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Yes, God knows that you have need of these things, but in expressing those needs to him, that's an expression of trust. That's an expression that, Lord, I, I have this need. I'm inviting you. I'm trusting you. I put my hope and my faith in you alone, not even in my abilities, not even in my intellect, not even in family and friends and investors. I'm putting my faith in you alone. And verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. But you need to realize that you have a part to play. You're, you have a part in, in, in silencing the anxieties in your life, in silencing the creeping doubts in your life. You have a responsibility to reignite and rekindle the faith in your heart towards God. You have a responsibility to say, God, I trust you. To respond to his question of, do you believe that I'm able to do these things? And to respond to him and say, yes, I do, Lord. Yes, I do, Lord. This is what I have need of. I believe you. I believe you 100%. No room for doubt. 100%. It doesn't matter what point I am in my life. I choose to believe you. I, I I, I put aside my past experiences. I trust in you for a new beginning, for a new day, for a new dawn. I trust in you. My faith will never die in you. My faith has no expiry date. I trust you 100%. No room for doubt. Can you turn this into prayer right now? Can you pray right now and just tell the Lord? I don't know whatever that thing is that you've been asking and trusting God for. Maybe it's recent or it's something that has been there for a long time. This is the time for you to express your faith in the Lord one more time. Express faith in him. It's not by your numerous words. It's by your heart. It's by your trust in God. Do you trust he's able to do this thing in your life? Yes, I know that the deadlines are fast approaching. Maybe you've even crossed a deadline. But do you believe that God's plans for your life are, are, are still on point? That God's timing is the best? Do you still believe that when it comes to delays, God's timing will always be the best? You have your own timelines, but God has his as well. Can you just pray and express your trust in him right now? God, I trust you. I trust your plans. I trust your intentionality. 
I trust your leadership. I trust that you will lead me on the path of righteousness. I trust that I'm not alone. I trust that I shall not want. I will not lack, but you will lie me in green pastures. That wherever my feet step upon, the green pastures come out. Glory to God. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I'm not working with my own timelines. I'm working with yours. Oh, Lord, thank you because no expiry date exists when it comes to my faith in you. Oh, Father, I trust you. I trust you. I leave no room for doubt. Lord, I walk on this bridge called faith to where you want me to be. To where you want me to be. I walk on this bridge called faith in the name of Jesus. Lord, I will always be victorious because I'm putting my trust in you. Lord, in life and above life, I am victorious. I am victorious, never disadvantaged in the name of Jesus. Are you praying right now? Are you praying right now? Come on, exercise your faith. Exercise your faith one more time. Exercise your faith one more time. Let the Lord know. Let the Lord know that you trust him again. Let him know that you've not lost any faith in him. Let him know that even if you did before, you're igniting it. You're bringing back your faith in him. It's a decision you're making to trust him till the very end. Like David waited. Like Joseph waited. Like Abraham waited. Oh, come on. Come on. Believe. Just like the woman with the issue of blood. She decided, regardless of my past experiences with the physicians, regardless of my past experiences with the doctors and all those who have tried to help me, I believe that this one can be it. I believe that this is the day that I will drop this affliction once and for all. And she got what she asked for. Oh, come on. That can be you. Your faith can endure. Your faith can endure. Your faith can think the impossible and believe the impossible. You can choose to remove all the complexities and just trust God. Remove all the, how would this happen? How shall these things be? And just trust that God will make it so. Come on, pray. Come on, pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. I, I want to just say this. Those delays you've experienced... The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord gave me this revelation a while ago that many times in the course of his plan, the delays you experience are only relays of events bringing you closer to his promise. The delays you experience are only relays of events that bring you closer to his promise. They are sequential release, sequential, bringing you closer to his promise. And that, see, his timelines, or maybe the, his timeline is different from yours. Many times we put ourselves, we, we box ourselves with our own specified timelines. At the age of 22, I want to be this. At 23, I'll be that. At 24, I'll have this house. I'll have that car. At 25, I'll have this. Maybe you've, you've seen a mentor you adore and you're using their timeline to, to, to guide your own timeline. I'm telling you that you need to break down those timelines and surrender them to the Lord. Surrender your plans to the Lord's plans. He will guide. He will direct. Do you trust him? Many of you have control issues and you don't realize it. You have control issues. You're trying to micromanage your life. Control your life. God is saying, let it go. Or you'll be frozen. <laughs> but that's true. On a serious note, stop being overly controlling about your life, about your destiny. Leave it all. There's a concept called surrender. 
And God wants you to have that when it comes to him. Surrender your timelines. Surrender your plans. Surrender your ambitions. All to the glory of the Lord. And so precious Father, thank you for this teaching that we've had. Thank you because your people have been strengthened again, I believe, to trust you, to surrender to you, to put aside doubts and unbelief. That the next time they pray, there is a confidence they have. There is a boldness that you hear them. That their words are not just spreading in the air and going to deaf ears. They're, 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 they're going to you. You hear. You know. And thank you, Lord, because you're such a good father that you will give us what we've asked for. Thank you, Lord, because this is the story of our lives. It's a life of faith. It's a story of faith. We will show the world that regardless of opinions and past experiences, you know, Lord, we thank you because our own story is one that trusts in you till the very end. And thank you, Jesus, for this is so. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Come on, give Jesus a shout of victory. Hallelujah. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.